We are continuing our series on biblical church discipline. We're talking about the confessional authority of the Reformed and Presbyterian Church, its teaching on discipline, and all of the manifestations that is given in Holy Scripture, not as designed by men, but as given in Scripture, as maintained in the covenantal practice and the history of the church itself. We're looking this Lord's Day at sermon number five on the issue of biblical authority concerning church discipline. We're actually looking at this very important area of how that God has established this discipline on the very structure of the founding of the church of Jesus Christ. Let's look to the Lord our God in prayer before we begin. Our Holy Father, we thank you for another day that you have given to us to come to examine your holy word. We ask, O oh God, that we would be a people of your book, that we walk by the book as we have just heard in the very voice of Pastor Eugene. We would obey you and not men. That we would hearken to the voice of your reason and not the reason of men. We pray, O oh God, that you help us to see and understand the theological foundation that's based off of the Holy Scripture for why these things need to be adhered to, why we are bound to them if we say we're Christians. If we're not, we can walk away. But we walk away at our own peril. We are bound to your word. Teach us to be faithful evermore to that which you have commanded of us. Give us a heart of compassion, one of love, and understanding these things that are sometimes hard to hear, yet are so necessary to the life of the church and of the people that say they love you. We ask, O oh Father, now that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive what your word and spirit would teach us. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Now before I continue to go on in our study that we've begun, out of the confession, looking at the doctrinal understanding of the nature of biblical church discipline, I want to simply give you an analogy and understanding of why this is so important. I heard a, a story one time, if I can use it as an analogy. man said that he was driving over a bridge, it was at night, and unbeknownst to him, a boat had a large boat, had gotten free from its anchoring. And as it got to that bridge, it hit some of the pylons that were designed to uphold that bridge, and it literally knocked those spans out, and the bridge collapsed. As he was driving there, he began to see cars disappear. He couldn't figure out what was happening. And as he neared, he began to realize the bridge was gone. And he hit his brakes. And he slid right up to the point of his front wheels falling off the concrete. And the car stopped. And he said, oh, thank God. 
And he got out. And he said the whole bridge for at least 30 yards was gone. Cars had plummeted off the bridge. People down into the water. Some under a part of the bridge it was falling. And he said he took off his coat and he began to run back in the direction that he had come, realizing others would not see it either. And he began to wave his coat back and forth, yelling, Stop! Stop! The first car coming down thought, What is this lunatic doing? And he shifted to the other lane. It was a four-lane bridge, two going one direction to the other. And he jumped in the other lane and he thought, What is wrong with this guy? He's crazy. Look at him. He's got a coat. He's waving it. And he, so he said, I switched to the other side. And he jumped in front of that and finally got him to stop. And he got out and he said, what is wrong with you? He said, a boat has knocked the span of the bridge out and the people are down in the river. They're dying and I'm trying to stop you and everyone else from going this same way of destruction. Said the man hugged him. And said, thank God for a man with a passion for the lives of others. I take real compassion. They said the two of them went together and they continued to flag cars down to stop them. Don't go any further. There's danger ahead. Well, my friends, church discipline is just like that. We're commanded to teach the word of God. This is the way that you walk in your Christian walk. This is what the word of God says. Will you not hear the word? But some people won't. They say, oh, that can't be the case at all. And they continue in their sin. And no matter how much you try to flag them down, they do not understand. And we preach the word from here saying, stop. Stop! Don't go the way of sin! Do not disobey the word of God lest your end be destruction. And then every Lord's Day we have the Lord's Supper. And as our men stand and give the command to the Supper, what are they saying? Stop! Stop! Look at your life where you're going! If you ignore your life, you do it at your own peril. And people look and say, what is wrong with these people? What is wrong with those preachers? What is wrong with the way they're doing everything that they're doing? Why can't we just live in our sin? Because the Bible says once you give birth to sin, it will bring forth that. You will die. People don't want to hear that. They want to say, we really don't believe God. We don't believe the word. Here's the word. This is what God says. You're going to second guess him? You're going to tell him you know better than what he knows? And he sent to those who he has called to be those who spread the word and preach it. 
tell them to stop, stop before they perish in the sin of their destruction. The sad truth of it is, too many perish. Somehow I'll cheat God's word. God won't really destroy. Well, I'll tell him. Well, you know, I'm sorry. I apologize. And it sounds as if apology is all you need. That's the modern thinking. But my friends, that's lip service. Repentance requires fruit. It requires a change of direction in your life and in your actions. You're not going to stand before God and say, gee, I'm sorry. It's going to say you're going to be sorry. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't follow the humanistic mode of thinking in our generation. Would just say you're sorry. Can you imagine violating the law by shooting someone? It's a crime. But when I get to court, I'll just tell the well, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to violate the law. You think that's going to let them off? Well, we're glad you said you're sorry, but you know what? A crime, including sins, have consequences. You think just by an acquit apology, I wish I would have done it different, or maybe it's even the mentality of the little boy who steals the cookies and gets caught, and he's not sorry because he liked the cookies, but he was sorry he got caught that that somehow was going to work out? We're trying to tell you. Not to our benefit. We're not asking you to do anything the scripture doesn't ask you to do. I wouldn't think of doing that. I would be in my own peril if I did that. I would be judged of God for that. So would the men of our church, the pastors who have this responsibility to carry out the word of God. But we're crying to you, stop, stop. Consider the end thereof. There's a way, the Bible says, that seemeth right unto men, many of them, but the ends thereof is death. Do not look to your own reason. Do not lie to yourself. Because in the end, it ain't going to work. And if we didn't love you, we wouldn't tell you to stop. 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 Do what's right. Discipline comes from the heart of love. And if you won't hear the word of God, then there's something wrong within you. Well, we're moving on to look at this very important subject. We've looked at section one. The authority of the church is built upon the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the word of God. But section two of our confession says this. To these officers, the keys of the kingdom of heaven are committed. 
by virtue. And by that he means, or they mean, as they wrote it, from the word of God. Thus having this feature or benefit, the keys of the kingdom, this duty, this work that you have to do, which says, by virtue whereof they, that is the officers, the pastors, the governors of the church, have power respectively. Listen to that. Listen to what the divines are saying. And we'll look at this from the word of God, where it was derived. And what they mean by this, having power respectively, means corresponding to what is given with the authority, the power to do this. They have the what? To retain. You know what that means? To hold accountable. That if you want to sin, they can bind you to that sin. To its destruction. We'll see that in the word of God. Now, believe me, us retaining it is calling upon God to hold you accountable. We don't do it the way God did it. Because if we did, we'd have a lot of people laying around dead, probably. We don't do it that way. God didn't give us that authority. I'll be honest with you, and truthfully, in 47 years of Patrick, I've never shot a person. Never. Never even thought about it. Do you get angry when somebody sins? Of course you do. You're hurt. You want them not to go that route. It's a righteous anger. It's not resentment. You know what's coming. You can read the book. It tells you what's coming. To retain, and then it says to remit, which means declare that their repentance is true. And ask God to bless them in their repentance. Isn't that what we really want? To remit sin, it says. To shut. The word shut here literally means to bar or to lock. What? To shut that kingdom against the impenitent. You know what that means? Unrepentant. He didn't say against those who wouldn't apologize. Because you see, an apology is only part of repentance. Yeah, I'm sorry I did it. How do we know you're sorry? Because I'll change my ways. The Bible talks about a fruit of repentance. What if there's no repentance? I.e., Maybe there's an apology, but no fruit of repentance. I got news for you. Then there's no forgiveness of sin. Find that for me in Scripture where there is such a thing that says that. Well, you can be sorry, and God will accept that, but you don't. <coughs> Excuse me. But you don't have to change your way. You can walk any way that you want to. It says that this is done to the impenitent, the unrepentant by both the word according to the scripture and it's being taught and preached and censures, that is those given the keys to the kingdom that they can cut off or literally declare someone is not walking or producing the fruit of the works of a true believer in Christ. That's what excommunication eventually is. We're not asking them to not come to church. We're saying this person has no true fruits of the spirit of salvation. They don't walk it. We're fruit inspectors. He says you'll know them by their fruits. Man, if they tell me they're an apple tree and they're growing oranges, there's something wrong. Or if they say that 
Boy, we're a tree that's supposed to grow fruit and there is no fruit. There's something wrong. So it continues and it says, and to open, that is receive them back from their debauchery. We have the right to open. What? Open the church to what? Penitent sinners by the ministry of the gospel. They've come, they've heard the word, they have repented. And thus, by absolution, it says. Absolution means gaining their freedom. From what? From being censured. They're no longer under censorship. They've proven themselves to be a child of God. That is a pronouncement by those that are given the responsibility to watch your life. To see that repentance has truly been brought forth. They are forgiven by evidence of that fruit of the Spirit and walking in the grace of God and the good works that Paul says we've been ordained to walk in. And are restored in your profession of faith as a true believer. Then he says, they say in the writing of this section, as occasion shall require, that is, pending the circumstances that are required for such repentance. Now, this is a lot like a family relationship. JP just explained that. Pastor JP was standing here telling you this is the way it works. It works in the nation. It works in the church. Where does it begin? In the home. Can you imagine your child saying to you, hey, I've done wrong. You know, I've stolen from you, mom and dad. I've taken something that you didn't want. Maybe it's, I got it into your purse and I took your money from you. Or in your wallet, dad, and taken money. I've stolen it. Well, son, that was wrong. You stole. Well, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have stole. And tomorrow I'm going to steal again. <laughs> I don't know about you. But I would say that apology doesn't mean a lot, does it? And the next day they steal. Well, why did you do that? You apologized. Yeah, I was sorry, but not enough to keep me from stealing more from you. At what point do you begin to realize something is amiss? The apology means nothing. See, real repentance says... I will not do what I did before. I will change my way. I will change the way of my actions to conform to the repentance I am to give. I can't wait for some of you to have kids. You're going to find this out. Boy, it's hard. It's not easy to raise children to the glory of God. It can break your heart. It can absolutely break your heart. No matter how much you teach them, how much you pray over them, somehow they still simply will not obey. And you got to punish them. Used to be a saying, you remember? This is going to hurt me more. This is going to hurt you. And the kid goes, Well, how come you're not spanking yourself? Because that really hurts. Because the hurt isn't the spanking, the hurt is from the heart. Because if you don't change your ways when you get grown up, 
You may go the way of those who rob banks and rob stores. And you may end up in prison or even dead. The end of a policeman's gun because you've committed a crime. Isn't that what you're trying to raise them not to do? To be sinners and criminals? If you don't love them, don't worry about them. Don't punish them. Let them go. But the Bible says that's not love. That's hate. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what modern psychology says. Look at the world we live in, and that's what has been going on for years. And we're getting the fruits of it now. And if you don't govern yourself, you'll never govern your children. They'll be just like you. Always like that popular song. The cat's in the kettle. No, no, that's not there. It was the cat's in the cradle. Always like the one that said the cat's in the kettle at the Peking spoon. No, it's not. Cat's in the cradle. What are they we're talking about? What was the song saying? The father had no time for his kid. And when he finally grew old and he had time, finally in his life, his kid had no time for him. I got news for you. However you live, that's where your kid's going to grow up. And one day you're going to say, why does my kid do these things? Because that's what you let him do. Because you didn't even govern your own life. So God has given the responsibility to the church and the censures to be duty-bound. That whatever is bound in heaven will be bound on earth, and whatever is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Listen to Christ speaking in the scripture, my friends. Matthew 16, 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We didn't come up with that phrase. Christ gave it to us. And whatsoever you shall bind, he's giving the authority, the censures of the church, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. If they are in their sins and they are turned over to God because they will not repent and they have been declared not Christian, no fruit of the Spirit, Whatever they bind on earth, God will honor in heaven. And you don't want to be turned over to God, please. His form of discipline is a lot harder and a lot longer than ours. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, free them up. These are people that have repented of their sin shall be loosed in heaven. God will honor that. And they will not be under his judgment. Listen to Matthew 18, 17 through 18. And if he shall neglect to hear them, he's talking about a brother and sister, a brother and brother in Christ, two of the people who profess faith, who have a problem. One has been offended. He's been sinned against. He goes to him and he won't repent. He takes witnesses with him. Some believe it's just not believers, but it's probably elders or pastors to hear it, to be able to say, I know I was there. I heard what was said. But he says, if he shall neglect to hear them, those who were telling him, you're in sin by doing this. You need to change. Tell it unto the church. Twofold. One, it is to the whole congregation, but it belongs to the duty of the censures to carry out the responsibility. 
But if he neglects to hear the church, let him be unto thee. That is, if he hears not those who are in charge of representing the church, or the body that is also what? Testifying against him. We don't want sin being named among us. So then let him be unto thee what? As a heathen man. A person who does not belong what? To the Christian faith. As regarded by those who do and live by the faith in their life. And a publican, a tax collector. Yeah. Nobody hated worse in this world than the tax collector when he comes around. He takes your money. And then he says what? Verily I say unto you, whatsoever. Anyone who acts like a heathen. Whatsoever you bind on earth, that is by censuring them, buying them too, to do the word of God shall be bound in heaven. That is through divine authority. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Here again you have the command. John 20, 21 through 23. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive you the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sin you remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins you retained, they are retained. My friends, I know how the humanistic mind thinks. Well, they think they got a lot of authority. I got news for you. I really don't want the authority like this. I'm going to be bound to it. Was I faithful? Did I do right by the church? Did I honestly deal with the word of God? He didn't say, oh, if you want to. You want a big church? Simply tell everybody, we're going to have the church or what's happening now. Everything goes. Soon as you will. Don't worry about it. We got grace here. You get a rock band and 40 gallons of beer and you could have a big congregation. And we got that kind of entertainment today. Look at the church in America. It is what? Worthless. Why? Look at the sin in the nation. Look at what's going on. We're about to be overthrown by communism in a country that has had the greatest preachers in the history of the world for any one nation. Why? The church has died. Sin is okay. Are you happy with it? Do you like it? He didn't give them a choice. He said you're going to retain either them to their sin or you're going to remit them by giving them forgiveness. Saying to them, these are people that love Christ. Look at their life. Look how they have sought to live for Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Here Paul writes, but if anyone has caused grief, 
He has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, all of the church. The offense that you have isn't, Paul says, just to me. It's to the body of Christ. You say you're of Christ. You're not offended by their sin. And he says, well, they have caused grief. But in this context, they've returned. It happens to be someone who has been called out and they've repented. And he says, now that they've repented of their sin, they're not doing it anymore. Don't be too severe. Of course not. Once they've changed, not said I'm sorry, but actually changed from doing sin. Once they have shown themselves faithful to be a follower of Christ. Don't be too severe. Because this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, that is, by the body of the church, is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, he ought rather to forgive and comfort him. He's repented, he's come back, we embrace him. Brother, you've changed your way. That's what we have striven to bring in your life. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Boy, if he's sorrow for his sins, if he sees his way of sin being a way in which he has grieved his own spirit, we've got to not let him get so swallowed up into that that he not realize having come the way of repentance. Now he has the promise. There is the fruit of the Spirit of God within him. The good works are coming forth. We encourage him, continue in these things, You've been restored to the body of Christ. You've repented of your sins. Therefore, I urge you, Paul says in verse 8, to reaffirm your love to him. Of course we do. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test. The church is being put to to the test, Paul says, to do what's right. Whether you are obedient in all things, whether you're going to be obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. If indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sake in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. <laughs> you got to understand something. Not dealing with sin is letting Satan have his way. Oh, and he'll bring deception. I'm not kidding when I told you. You practice church discipline in this generation. You're the bad guy. I'm trying to keep you out of hell. So is everybody else who's trying to preach and teach the truth and have the responsibility of censorship. And what do we hear? You're bad people. That's evil. That's evil. Now, if we were asking to go kill people and steal and put that money in the church coffers, yeah, that's a problem. But we're not asking you to violate the law of God at any time. But rather flee from violations of his law. Robert Shaw states concerning section 2. He summarizes what is held to be the theological position of the Puritan Reformed churches. And I quote. Our confession here affirms that the keys of the kingdom of heaven are committed to the officers whom Christ hath appointed to his church. 
I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, said Christ to Peter. Whoever shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He continues, by the keys of the kingdom of heaven, we are to understand the power and the authority of exercising government and discipline in the church, in virtue of which those entrusted with these keys have the power to bind and to loosen. You say, I don't believe it? Well, Christ said it. Are you saying Christ lies? We don't exercise that authority at every drop of the hat. There are times people come and say, wow, I, I've got a problem in my life. I've got sin. Then deal with it, brother. We don't bind him and lose him. We just exhort him. Deal with it. What can I do to help you? I'll pray with you. I'll help you in any way that I can. But if he doesn't, at some point he's going to get rebuked for it. You haven't done away with it. At some point you're going to have to say, you know what? You still haven't dealt with it. We can't let you come to the Lord's table. And at some point we may have to say, we're going to have to set you apart from the body of Christ because you're not living as one repented in Christ. It is a fake repentance. It's a false repentance. And so he says, thus by inflicting and removing censures and their proceedings when conducted agreeably to scripture are ratified in heaven. Shaw goes on to say, Presbyterians maintain that these keys were given to Peter as an apostle and an elder, and therefore the gift extends to all apostles and after them to all ordinary officers to the end of the age. The same thing that is expressed in the above passage by binding and loosening is elsewhere expressed by remitting and retaining sins, but Christ addressed these words to all the apostles. Peace be to you as God the Father has sent me. So I send you who soever sins you remit, they were remitted. And those whoever sins you retain, they are retained. John 20, 21 and 20. Thus Shaw goes on and says, it is true that this power is ascribed to the church, tell it to the church. But by the church in this passage also, it is understood to the rulers or elders of the church. As well as to the body and its members. And this text further confirms the doctrine of our confession that the power of discipline is committed to those who are the office bearers of the church. They have the duty to carry it out. It's not the duty for you to have to go to someone and deal with this. Although I think that'd be pretty awesome if somebody sins and everybody in the church has to go visit them and tell them, you're a rotten sinner. You need to get right with God. <laughs> You'd like that, wouldn't you? No, you wouldn't. You'd go, I don't want to do that. <clears throat> Isn't that what we got officers for? Isn't that their job? Isn't that their duty? Of course it is. Well, what is the church's job in all this? To support and agree. If they're living in sin, if they're living in violation of the love of God, then they, in the word of God, then they need to repent. And we will support the church in how they determine these things are propped out. My friends, sir, church censures are necessary, one, for the vindicating the honor of Christ and his religion what they're given to for. We vindicate the honor of Christ. 
We would have the right to call ourselves elders, leaders in the church if we would not defend the honor of Christ. And it is Christ's name that these people have taken upon themselves. If not, let them renounce Christ and go their way. No, I think too many of them want fire insurance, but they don't want Christ as their Lord. Two, the maintaining of the purity of the worship of the church. How can you worship when you will not obey the word of God in your life? Third, because our duty is to reclaim the offenders. Those who have offended Christ and the church. Even in their own profession, they've offended themselves. We are to reclaim them. For deterring others from like offenses. That's why we punish criminals, isn't it? What's the purpose in punishing a criminal? What's the purpose in a death penalty? It's to make other people not do what people do that causes the death penalty to stop them from doing it. Man, if I kill this guy, they're going to kill me for it. That's a deterrent. And believe me, if they put you to death for killing someone, that's a deterrent. You'll never do it again. Fifth, removing contagion from the church. It's like a cancer. You've got to remove it or it's going to eat the body up. And six, the centers of the church are spiritual in that we deal with those things that deal with the spirit. We don't. We're not. We do not have the authority to deal with crimes. It's not our job. That's a state's job. But our job is to deal with spiritual sin when it's committed within the church. And thus, we are appointed by Christ for the benefit of helping to bring back those who have offended. We need to promote their recovery and not their destruction. God forbid you would support them in their sin and you're supporting them to their own destruction by God. How can you love someone and want God to bring judgment upon them for their sin? Secondly, as offenses differ in degree of guilt and circumstances and aggravation, the church is to proceed according to the nature of the degree of the offense committed. It has to. You can't just let it slide. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. We'll just let it go. I got news for you. That's not a good thing. That's like telling your kid, well, you know, he only stole 20 bucks from me. We'll let it go. But the next time he takes 100. In some cases, a simple admonition will suffice. Paul says in Titus 3.10, here he states, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. Just rejecting. A greater degree of guilt will be called for in a rebuke. Titus 1.13. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them that rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Rebuke them so that they will change and their faith will be what? Strong. They'll learn to live. They'll learn to remove sin from their life. 1 Timothy 5.20 Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest may also fear. I didn't say that. Paul said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What are we going to do? Neglect it and say it just doesn't exist. You got no right to ask us to do that. Paul says we do. We have that responsibility. Third, scandals of a greater magnitude require the suspension of the offender from the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. 
2 Thessalonians 3.14 And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, not that person, and do not keep company with him, then he may be ashamed. <coughs> Did you hear what I just read? Listen to this. This is directed to you. The church. Listen to it. I didn't say this. I didn't write this. This is not my idea of how we do it. This is something that comes from the word of God. You tell me how you're going to get out of this responsibility. If anyone does not obey our word, that is the preaching and teaching of the word, in this epistle, which is, makes it clear, it's the word, not that person. That person won't live according to the word of God. What does Paul say? And do not keep company with him. That he may be ashamed. What are you going to do? Now I'm sure keeping company with him means don't be running around with him. Hey, brother so-and-so, I may have been excommunicated from the church, but let's go to a movie. I'm sorry. I can't keep company with you. You need to repent and come back to church and seek forgiveness of sin, both of those you've offended as well as God. And make it right. Because I can't keep company with you. I am not going to share in your sin against God. Now I realize this cuts across family lines. Not easy. I've had to deal with that in my own life. Does it mean that I don't? Respect those positions that I have in relationships? Of course not. But I don't run around with them. I don't have anything to do with them from that perspective. Would I help? I would treat them the way I would treat any person that came to me for help. We're not saying that. But I'm telling you, here's what the Word of God says. What are you going to do with it? I didn't come up with this. It's in the word. What are you going to do? Ah, the Christian life isn't easy, especially in many ways that affects our families, our friends, everything else. Does it say you can't have any type of relationship? No, it's keeping company. It's that way of you know, when we go out and we do things as friends, we go to movies or we go here, or we go, but you still do that anymore. I'm sorry. You've chosen to live a way that is offensive to God, to the church. I can't do that. Does that mean you can't treat them with kindness and consideration, courtesy? No. He never says that. You never violate the law of God toward anyone. I have people that I know that are not Christian. I'm not mean to them. There are times I may see them. They may see me at a restaurant, sit down and say, hey, can we join you? I'm not, I'm not unkind to them. But if they say, you know what, we need to go to a movie, the answer is, I can't, I'm sorry. I don't keep company with people that are not in obedience to Christ. I didn't get a choice in it. He didn't say if you want to or don't want to, just go ahead and do this. What are you going to do with the word? What are you going to do? Man, that's so simple the way he says it. Now that can bring up a million questions. I understand. But at the same time, what are you going to do with the word of God? And I'm going to tell you right now, the way you would deal with the word of God is a real telling story of your life. 
It would be of my life. Now we kind of begin to understand what Jesus Christ says. You know what? If it requires you to forsake mother, father, sister, brother, so be it. Pick up the cross and follow me. That's a hard saying, isn't it? It is a hard saying. Sometimes it becomes a reality of life. And it's hard. And I can tell you the hours of tears that have been shed when these things have happened. You think I'd want that? You think that's what I want in my life? I don't get an option. The highest censure which the church has the power to inflict is called excommunication. Matthew 17, 17. Then Jesus entered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Have an example of this case. In the incestuous man who was delivered, and in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, Paul says, unto whom Satan, the man was delivered by the apostle unto Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Better that he end his life, God take it from him, than for him to continue in sin and prove himself not to be a Christian. I didn't say that. Paul says it. Consists in literally delivering up the offender to the devil, but in casting him out of the church membership into the world. That is declaring the unrepentant individual as a non-believer, which is described in Scripture as them being in Satan's kingdom. Well, let me end here. A.A. Hodge reaffirms this purpose of church discipline. He says, and I quote, the ends of church discipline are declared to be one, the purity of the church, and hence the glory and approbation of God. The recovery, too, of the erring brother himself. If you love him, why wouldn't you want him to repent? Why would you want them to continue in sin so they can die and go to hell? That's what you want for your loved ones? God forbid that's your attitude. Third, the force of example to deter others from like sin. I don't want you to go that same way. Fourth, the exhibition of righteousness and fidelity to Principle presented to the world without. That we live by the principles of the word of God. The world cannot dissuade us. What are you going to do? Think of the early church. They came and said to them, it's the book or do what we tell you to do. And they said, we will die by the book. How dare we stand in the face of God and say to him, you don't have any rule when it comes to my life. He will judge us for those actions. Gordon Clark states concerning the necessity of church censors that, quote, to the officers whom Christ appointed for his church, he has given authority to impose centers. Church centers are necessary for the reclaiming and gaining of the offending brother, for deterring of others from like offenses, for purging out that leaven which might infect the whole lump, the whole church, for vindicating the honor of Christ and the holy profession of the gospel, and for the preventing of the wrath of God which might justly fall upon the church if they should suffer his covenant and the seals thereof to be profaned by notorious and ostensive offenders. Because this principle has become vitally a dead letter in most of the denominations, he says. 
The result it was supposed to have prevented have overtaken us. Offending brethren are not reclaimed, nor are others deterred from offending. The leaven that should have been purged has been infected to the whole body. Instead of Christ's honor being vindicated, people have no respect for a non-Christian church. And the wrath of God seems to have begun to fall among us. Why do we do it? Commanded to. What are we saying? Don't die in your sin. Seek repentance, live for Christ. You're only fooling yourself if you think you are and you will not repent. Receive instruction. Look to Christ for your salvation. Follow his word. Obey the word. If you will not obey the word, woe be to you. To you, to those who will not be offended by it, apparently they don't believe either. Neither do they live by the word. Woe be to the church. Woe be to the nation. And my friends, Dr. Clark was right. He wrote that back in the 50s. The churches were so being infected by liberalism that the nation, not just Christians, not just churches, but the nation itself was being affected. Because that which was to give instruction to the nation has lost its way. And destruction's coming. I'm going to tell you something. I fear, if you're not paying attention to what's going on in this nation, you need to fear. Wait till communism overthrows us. Wait till Satan has his way in our nation. See what's going to happen. Your freedom that you think you have to do as you want will be so impugned that you'll cry. Oh, God, deliver us. And God says, why should I? I wanted to deliver you from sin, and that would have stopped what is going on. You would not yield to the cry. What am I saying? What do the elders of this church, elders of other churches, what ought they be saying? Stop! Stop! For the way thereof is death and destruction. And it will affect you. It will affect your families. It will affect your churches. It will affect your nations. And you will weep over your sins and what happens to you, your children, and your children's children, who one day will say, my parents and grandparents wouldn't stand for the truth. That's why we're in the world of trouble we're in. That's why we're overthrown. And we live under this sphere of tyranny. Couldn't love the church in Christ commands enough to govern their own lives around. God forbid that my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren would ever say that. Better to die for them than to live in sin and watch it all perish. Stop. Stop. Stop your sin. For you're not going to like the end there. God didn't lie. He's telling you what's going to happen. But listen, 
hear that? You don't. Because the churches aren't teaching it anymore. Even those so-called reformed churches, they just aren't doing the work of God anymore. There's so few left. And I thank God for those who do. For those who want to see change, may God grant a new generation of ministers who will call our churches, our families, our nation back to Christ and his word. Shall we pray?